You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest joins us from Logandale, Nevada, where he's the manager of the Clark County Fair. Not only did they lose their 2020 fair, but unfortunately, they've had to just recently announce their 2021 fair won't be happening either. Here today to share with what's share what's happening with the Clark County Fair. This is Mr. Todd Robinson. Todd, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing real well, but I understand things are uh, a little bit of a struggle there for you guys in Clark County. Yeah, you know, we were sure in hopes after losing our 2020 fair that uh, things would straighten themselves out and we'd be able to get back on track in 21. Um, we held on as long as we could before we canceled. We just recently canceled our 2021 dates, which is set for the second full week in April, April 7th yeah. through the 11th. And uh, due to the restrictions of the state of Nevada, uh, we were left with very little choice and decided to it was, canceling was the best interest for everybody. Yeah. Yep, it sounds like it. Before we get too far into all that, because I know with two cancellations, there's plenty of stories to tell. Can you give our listeners an idea of how you came to be with the Clark County Fair? You know, uh, Clark County Fair is kind of an interesting. Uh, Clark County is the uh, uh, the county that houses Las Vegas. Um, obviously, there's a couple of million people live in the Las Vegas area. The uh, Little town of Logandale is only about uh, nine or ten thousand people, and uh, uh, kind of a the site that's been designated as the official site for the Clark County Fair. Um, quite an interesting story about how we became uh, the official county fair. Uh, I guess maybe I'll just tell you the story real quick, and then we we'll go do. from there. So. Um, in the earlier, the late 1950s, the voters in Clark County uh, decided to enact a room tax. Um, that room tax was to start an organization called the Clark County Fair and Recreation Board. Um, and the purpose of that was to promote uh, fair and youth participation and recreation in the area. And uh, that worked for several years. and. And the real need of that room tax kind of shifted towards more to the tourism side than it did the, the community side. And uh, that organization today, which is known all over the world, is, is uh, still in existence. But instead of being called the Clark County Fair and Recreation Board, it's called Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. And so in about the late 70s, early 80s, they were phasing out uh, their participation in the fairs. One of the last events they did was uh, a youth fair. And uh, I think in the early 80s, they phased that clear out. And so out in uh, Logandale, which is called the Moapa Valley area, the uh, the uh, organizers out there, a little group fair, when said, hey, we want to put on the county fair and uh, was granted authorization from both the, the uh, Las Vegas Convention Visitors Authority as well as the uh, board of directors of the Clark, uh, Clark County Commission. 
And uh, so since I think uh, 1987, uh, the, uh, the official Clark County Fair has been held out in Logandale. Um, and uh, up until 2020, it was every spring and then it got canceled and now we've canceled again. Uh, our organization is kind of a unique organization. We are not uh, funded by taxpayer dollars. We are private uh, 501c3 corporation. Um, we do have a very good relationship with uh, Clark County commissioners. Um, we work very well with the county in terms of the use of the facility and uh, and scheduling and all of that stuff. And we have a great relationship with uh, the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority who support wholeheartedly what we still do today. And so that's kind of a quick rundown of how we got to be where we are. Uh, Logandale is a town that's approximately 50 miles northeast of Las Vegas, right up I-15. And uh, uh, it's a little small farming community, and uh, every spring of the year, 80,000-plus people show up to come and enjoy the fair. I mean, and, if, you're a, if you're a small town community of nine to 10,000, but you're pulling 80,000, you're drawn out of, the, I'm guessing, out of the Vegas metro area, out of that kind of northwest area of Vegas. Um, you know, roughly... Um, about 70% of our patron, uh, patrons come from the Las Vegas Valley. Got it. And so over your history, you went from a fair that was um, more heavily supported by, um, you know, the, the, I forget what you call it, the County Fair Board or, or the County Fair and Parks Board. And then once Vegas started to really blow up, a lot of that support now goes to the convention and visitor side of things. And you guys are kind yes. of left fending for yourselves now. Yes. Um, um, we, we rely real heavily on uh, the economy in Las Vegas as well. And, and uh, um, you know, when tourism and everything's on a roll and things are good, they, they're always looking for events to bring people to the area. And, uh, you know, of course, with the pandemic and things that are going on right now, Vegas is absolutely struggling. What about your history with the fair? Did you always want to work with fairs or, or how long have you been with Clark County? No, um, my dad was uh, part of the original organizers of putting on a little weekend, one or two day event in the Valley and trying to bring people together in a community. And I, I remember growing up uh, in the Logandale area that, uh, you know, there was just a few thousand people there. I graduated from high school there and, uh, you know, community events was really what shaped our community. Um, uh, we were an agriculture area. Um, they had a lot of uh, row crops that uh, migrant workers would come in. And, and uh, there was always some type of community celebration, whether it was the end of a, of a harvest or uh, 4th of July or any reason to get together as a community, um, it seemed like we did that. And so it was a natural fit to have some type of fair activity in our community. If you weren't working with that fair right now, what do you think you'd be doing? Yeah. 
you know, been uh, been a part of the fair since uh, I was a little kid. I can remember helping my dad when I was uh, uh, young, uh, setting up for the fair, whether it was the Clark County Fair or the earlier days of the fair. I can remember uh, spending a lot of time helping, and uh, it just seemed to evolve that um, it kind of got in my blood and part of my family. Uh, my wife's side of the family was the same way. Um, her grandpa was very heavily involved with this, the establishment and the conversion to the, to the uh, actual Clark County Fair that we are now. And so both my wife and I have been uh, extremely involved and we've passed that on to our own kids who are, are involved with the fair too. So it's hard you're, to say. You're a lifer at this point. You're a lifer. Yeah, I don't think there's any real getting out of uh, of uh, having it in your blood. Once it's in there, it's there to stay. I think I agree with that. The number of folks I've talked to on the podcast that we've all agreed, that obviously this is not the industry you get into if you want to make millions of dollars and, and buy a yacht. <laughs> you know, This is a passion-driven industry, and it's people like you that make this industry really happen. I appreciate that. And uh, it is, I mean, you know, uh, um, as you travel around the country and you inter- intertwine with other fair people and, and whether it's on the service side of it or whether the, it's the fair staff side of it, it is a love that people get. They get it in their system. And once it, you're hooked, it's hard to, to move on from that. It's hard to, to walk away from it. It really is. And I think that makes it all the more difficult when we're talking about the pandemic and you know, so many of you on the fair planning side, I know on the entertainment side, we work really hard to produce great shows for you guys. Um, but you work year round to produce these events. And then you get told, sorry, can't do it. And you lose it. And then you lose it twice. It's got to be heartbreaking. So if you can, Todd, take us back to March of 2020. Houston cancels March 11th. That was the same day that World Health declared that COVID was officially a global pandemic. Your fair is just weeks away at that point. What are you thinking when Houston cancels and dominoes start to fall down? Well, you know, um, we, we monitored it a little bit. I mean, obviously, we didn't have a great lead time. Um, we were deep into to, uh, planning our fair. Um, we, uh, you know, you get to a threshold point. You plan all year long. You try to to uh, get everything in order so that uh, come opening a day of the fair that you've taken care of even the smallest details. And, and uh, at this point in time, when you're getting really close to uh, 30 days out from our event, um, we're pretty well set with, with a plan. And, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit um, the first time around, you know, your number one concern um, obviously goes to well, towards the health and well-being of your patrons. And, and you, you have a, a, a compassionate side of you that says, hey, we want to do what's right for our community. And uh, at that point, in the first cancellation, we were well deep into the planning phases, and we had a tremendous amount of sunk costs, costs that we'll never get back. Your marketing um, and your th- your marketing dollars and tickets getting printed, things like that. Yeah, we we were uh, 
we were right on that threshold of getting in deeper. Um, another week or another two weeks and a cancellation would have been way more devastating to us than when it was canceled. Um, so we felt in part blessed that, uh, that it did get canceled when it did. Um, and so, um, you know, you're, you're concerned about what's going on, not only in our own community, but uh, worldwide um, with what is this um, uh, COVID and, and how is it gonna impact people? Um, this time around was a different, different story for us. Um, we'd lived through it and, uh, you know, I noticed that there's really two groups of, of uh, people that think about this COVID. Um, one is the group from the health side of it, who very much are concerned about their personal health or their family's health. And, and uh, they don't wanna see um, any levels of activities that may cause this to to flourish even more than it already has. And then you have the opposite side of that, of, of a number of people that um, believe that there's not a lot to this. And then when you look at the numbers, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to shut the whole economy down. Yeah. But our decision this time around was driven off of the economics of the area that we live in. Sure. Um, like I said earlier, we're uh, we're not taxpayer funded. We are funded privately. And when you look at some of our major partners and sponsors and you look at the economy that's going on um, with the casino industry, especially in Las Vegas, it made it a very easy decision for us to say, we're going to have to set this year out as well, simply because, because we knew we weren't going to have the financial support and backing that we needed. Sure. And you guys last year, I mean, at least you got a little lead time this year. Last year, if I recall, it was it was two days. Um, if I read the press release correctly, it was two days after Houston canceled. So it would have been about March 13th that you guys announced. And that's less than a month out from your fair, at least this time. Um, calling it quits a little earlier. Um, yeah. Maybe and we, approached this, we approached this year much differently. Uh, um, we really controlled um, our outgo spend um, to try and conserve our cash flow as much as possible. And when we sat down and talked about it, we thought, okay, can we put together an event? What is the absolute drop dead deadline that says we're either a go or a no go? Yeah. And uh, we typically, you know, spend. Uh, a solid five to six months putting together the nuts and bolts of the fair, spend a whole year planning it. But, you know, uh, we condensed that down and said, if we had to do this, what's it going to take? And we came up with a number of around 60 to 75 days. And uh, we reached out to a, f a few people that we do business with and said, well, those numbers work for you. And, uh, the answer was, yeah, let's just see where this is going. But uh, it was evident when we got closer to that time frame that we knew that we needed to publicly cancel, uh, even though we knew that we needed to cancel before we publicly did it. Um, it's still not an easy decision. And uh, 
we thought we pushed it out as far as we could. And, and at the end of the day, we didn't have any choice but to do to cancel this year as well. Sure. How'd your community react to that cancellation announcement? You know, our community is uh, uh, a very unique community, very supportive of each other. Um, there's a level of understanding. Um, they're very um, disappointed that we're not having the event. Uh, you know, when you one of one portion of what we do is very much youth oriented. And I think that uh, of the big losers here of not holding the fair, it's definitely the younger generation. Yep. Um, we have a we have a lot of repeat followers that are driven off of probably more the family reunion type deal. Family multi generation people come to our our fair every year, and I know they they use that to our event to as a, uh, as a get together time. And, uh, they, uh, I think that that disappointment of, of not being able to have that opportunity. Plus, uh, you know, I talk about the youth a little bit, uh, uh, when, when we look at what's going on, not just around the United States, but everywhere in the world, um, to me, I think that the youth, is the ones that are suffering the most out of this. They're taking away some of those cherished moments of, of their uh, growing up and their ability. I mean, you, you can go to a high school and, and uh, look at uh, just the athletic side of things and not being able to participate. And, and I feel for these, the youth, and I think the greatest impact that uh, is happening around the world is definitely on the young people. I would 100% agree with that. Most of the folks we've talked with on the, on the show, um, you know, whether it's um, youth, you know, on the 4-H and FFA side, if they've lost the livestock shows, if they haven't been able to do that, or like you talk about with the, you know, kids not being able to, you know, participate in high school athletics. My wife's an assistant principal and, um, you know, for an elementary school, of course, so it's not a, you know, she's not worrying about graduation, but it breaks my heart that you get these kids that, they can't, they're not going through commencement there. That's like one of those checkpoints of growing up of the transition from being a kid to being an adult, walking across that stage and getting your diploma. And they can't do that. You know, you, you mentioned the high school athletes, how many of them may be missing out on a college scholarship because they didn't get to play, you know, varsity baseball or basketball, their junior and senior year. It's, a, yeah. it's um, you know, uh, our local, our local high school here is a diehard football town. Sure. And uh, I actually coached at the high school for 12 years, uh, um, volunteered my time. And, uh, you know, it's sad that those kids will never have the opportunity to put a helmet on or strap on a set of pads, shoulder pads and go out and, and compete. Is it going to change their life? Um, I think the relationships and things that they learn from playing organized sports does have a part of making up who you are the rest of your life. Um, you know, and a lot of people choose not to play sports, but they need something. <clears throat> they each, each person needs that interaction. And uh, I just know that uh, in our community, I've watched the youth and they're suffering because of it. <clears throat> yeah. 
Well, and and I I agree with that, and it's it kind of leaves the kids in a position where they're in this position through no fault of their own, just like you are with the fair. I am with my entertainment business within fairs through no fault of their own, but you know, for the young kids out there uh, and frankly, the folks that are out there that are listening, we're left now in a position where we, we can't do anything about what's happened with the pandemic, but we can choose how we respond to it. You know, so those kids have, those kids have a choice now, you know, they can sit there and live the rest of their lives going, I missed out on the chance to go to a division one school because I didn't get that scholarship or they can look at it instead of saying, you know, this is the new normal. This is one of the things that um, a, a guy that I just interviewed, um, Chad Hymas said, he said, instead of looking at the new normal, you need to ask yourself, okay, what's next? And you just, they're going to have to respond and choose to respond po- positively. We all are going to have to. Um, it's very, and I, my heart breaks for everybody out there who's having to make major pivots in their life and adjustments to their life through no fault of their own. And my only hope is that the life they find now, the life they build for themselves now is better than the life they would have had if the pandemic didn't happen. Yeah, it's definitely a concern, um, you know, and I think you said it right, uh, what they do with the information that they're given today. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm not a firm believer in the phrase, the new norm. Um, I believe that we control our own destiny. And uh, if we don't, our destiny will control us. And uh, um, I'm a firm believer that uh, we need to be in control of who we are. I, I do want to add one thing. Um, our, uh, we do have a, a, a fairly large livestock show at our fair. Um, uniquely, the livestock association that we deal with operates independently of us. And uh, we are still trying to navigate through holding an actual livestock show. For this, um, for April, for next month, or yeah. uh, two months. Um, it won't be with the fair, obviously, but, uh, um, and their participation level this year is significantly less than it was a year ago, or was planning on being a year ago. Um, but I applaud the, the organization, the Junior Livestock Association that we deal with, that, uh, they're trying to work through this and navigate through it to help. And I just think that that's very important that uh, kids have that responsibility, you know, raising a, a show steer or pig or whatever, just uh, um, it, it'll, it'll stick with you the rest of your life, knowing that you need to go out there night and day and feed them and work with them and, and all of that stuff. And hopefully that they can, earn a few dollars to further in their education or career or whatever they choose after they uh, graduate from high school and leave home. And uh, so we are working through that side of it. Um, I think we'll be successful at that, but to uh, hold a full-blown fair um, is just really wasn't an option to us. Not um, the, other, the other side of what we do is uh, uh, we're big in rodeo. Um, we put on a, uh, PRCA rodeo. That's one of the top, uh, paying rodeos in the nation. And, uh, you know, to be able to, to do it at the caliber that we have with the limitations of attendance and the lack of sponsors, it just would not be fair to, to, uh, put on an inferior product. And, um, we just felt like that 
at this point in time from an economical standpoint that we needed to regroup, reserve our cash flow, and hopefully bail ourselves out and come back strong in 22. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us would hope that's the case. It definitely makes sense. Other fair managers we've spoken with and marketing directors have said, you know, what happens if we do have our fair and we're allowed 50 or 60% attendance, but when we adjust for that number, it's a subpar product and it ultimately damages our brand in the long run. And so situation, you know, you don't want people to go, Oh man, that Clark County rodeo, the, the PRCA deal used to be awesome. And now all of a sudden it sucks when and people don't click that you're trying and you'll, you'd like to get back to the glory that it once was, but, um, I, I think in a lot of cases, it's easier just to take whatever cash reserves you have and fold and walk away from the table and, and hope you get a shot in, in 2022. I'm glad to hear you're trying to do something with the livestock for the kids. Um, one of the things I've seen repeatedly when fairs have had to cancel, um, their Facebook posts are loaded with comments. You know, they're, they're not asking about where's the magician or what about the juggler or what about getting a corn dog. Mm-hmm. They're all saying, what about the livestock show for the kids? And so the fairs that have managed to put something together with, you know, the junior livestock people, with 4-H, with FFA, I applaud them. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, um, it's important to us. And, and uh, the part of the timing of us canceling our event was predicated upon the enrollment of the or the uh, sign up participation of our junior livestock show. The last thing I wanted to do is right in the middle of their signups of people making a decision. I didn't want to cancel the fair. So we waited until they were set. Yeah. And uh, um, I just didn't want the cancellation of the fair to weigh heavily on uh, parents and their decision. Um, I believe wholeheartedly that we can navigate our way through this whole thing and, and still provide a reasonable product. Um, and I think that uh, it'll all work out fine for them. Good. Um, so we're hopeful. So what's the, I'm curious, what's the current state of the uh, pandemic response there in Clark County? Are you all still locked down, partially open? Where is that at? Um, actually, as of yesterday, uh, um, we were pretty well locked down with uh, businesses operating at 25% and So there's a phased um, program that really is set to to reopen the economy. It uh, started as of yesterday. I think we went from 25 to 35%. But when you get to large-scale events, um, the numbers just flat are not there. Um, You know, even when you look at professional sports and they're playing – without fan base there, I don't know how you're ever going to see an outdoor event or a fair be able to do um, what we normally do. Are you telling me, are you telling me you can't put cardboard cutouts on the Ferris wheel and charge them 25 bucks for wristbands? (laughs) It doesn't work too good in the food food court or on the Ferris wheel (laughs) or whatever. I mean, cardboard don't need a lot in the food court and, you know, those vendors need, uh, need the ability to, to sell their products. And, and sometimes those food courts get pretty crowded yep. and, uh, you know, logistically, you know, when, it, when you looked at one of the requirements of outdoor events from Nevada is, uh, is, uh, 
is tracing, COVID tracing. They want to know everybody who comes to the event and uh, um, what their name is, what their contact information is. And logistically, we just don't have the kind of time or the manpower or, or to be able to facilitate that. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, I've heard of some events that only sell tickets online and won't sell anything at the gate. And you talked about, so if we put something on at 50%, but then we're an outdoor event. So 50% may even be worse than that when you have bad weather. Yeah. You might average and, 30, 32% average over the course of your fair. And then you're really, yeah, I mean, face it, uh, anyone who knows anything seriously knows about the fair industry that people don't put on fairs to make a ton of money. That's just not the way it works. You know, you're just every year you're looking just to be able to, to at least average this fair in with the rest of them, the, the good years average with the bad years. And yeah. uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's, if you were in the business to try and make money, you wouldn't be in the fair business. I can tell you that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I know there's some vendors and concessionaires out there who, who do really well on some years, but all of us, our destiny is controlled by the weather. You know, Definitely. you look and you're going, oh man, I'm having the, the best year of my life. And then the next, you know, you're a concessionaire and you're like, I can't believe how much money this, you know, fancy new corn dog I'm making is, you know, we're, we're rolling in cash. And then the next three fairs have 12 days of rain combined. And it, it brings you back down to earth real quick. Oh, it does. And, you know, our, our largest attendance is obviously on a Saturday. And if we have wind or rain or even one Saturday, which we live in the desert, we had a little bit of snow flurries on uh, uh, several years ago. And, and, you know, when you're here, here's the other little issue that we deal with. It's kind of unique to our area. Um, the average uh, patron comes from the Las Vegas area. Vegas is a town that you can go do anything you want to do on any given day, anytime you want to do it. Yep. And uh, to be able to go and entice those people to, to drive 50 miles one way to come to a fair, if the weather isn't perfect or what you're providing isn't the right thing, they're going to choose to stay home and any you little know, bit of friction. Yep. Any bit of friction and they'll, they'll bail. You know, the older generation, they used to plan weeks in advance and get their tickets and have everything all set. And regardless of, of the, the conditions they were going, today's generation doesn't seem to operate that way. Um, it's, uh, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Or what yep. are you doing today? Yes. And then, it's, well, let's go. And uh, it just seems like that the younger generations are more of, of an at-whim generation. And, uh, and if you got a bad weather, that just changes what they talk about. Yeah, I'm 41, so I wouldn't call myself the younger generation, but I will apologize for that because I am part of the, the group of people yeah. that do that. A lot of times, you know, my, uh, my wife and I'll sit down, what are we doing this weekend? And it's Thursday afternoon when we make that decision, when we start talking about it. And, and, you know, part of that is, is, isn't so much the generation, it's the opportunities that are presented to you. Um, You have a lot more opportunities than maybe the generation of the, say the sixties and 70 year olds have. Um, 
And, uh, and when you have a lot more opportunities, you have the ability to choose what you want to do. Are we going to do this or are we going to do that? Yep. And, uh, unfortunately it makes it hard to, to market to that generation and get any kind of long-term or a commitment that they're going to be there. Yeah. And so uh, we definitely, if you want to, I mean, a pandemic is a bad deal because it, it really, we've managed through some, some swine flus and some other stuff that have, that have uh, caused us grief over the years. But, uh, um, you know, managing through weather is a tough, a tough deal in the fair business. And, and obviously when state restrictions shut you down, there's no way you can manage through them. Absolutely. You know, now, you know, we've chatted a little bit about concessionaires and, and vendors. Um, have you been keeping in touch with any of the, those folks who come to your fair and, and how are they doing? You know, um, I have. Um, I have a, a vendor that comes all the way from Nebraska every year and it's really kicking off the season. Um, he told me the other day on the phone that he's done 5%. Of uh, his normal business in 2020, five percent. Um, you know, and that's yeah, obviously you're not going to put bread and milk on the table very uh, frequently at that kind of deal, and so it takes some kind of other type of of uh, revenue, whether it's getting a job somewhere else and or, uh, you know, being able to do things on the side to generate that, um, you know, but man, when you look at uh, the devastation that the uh, fair industry has taken, California is, has pretty much uh, the fair industry is destroyed right now. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, most, most fairs have entirely laid off all of their staff and being able to, to even open their doors, the next opportunity they get is going to be a real struggle. Um, right. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're an entertainer, a food vendor, a carnival. Um, there's, it's going to be, I think a lot of people are really doing some soul searching and saying, is this the career that I want to follow for the future or not? Yeah. Yeah, it's you know you mentioned have fairs having to lay people off. Do you guys have staff that you've you've had to furlough during this time? Yeah, we had a we had a staff of four employees that were part time employees. Obviously, during the fair, we bolster that up with uh, seasonal employees that we pay. Um, but I have zero staff, um, and. Uh, you know, uh, we rely heavily on uh, volunteers to help put our uh, uh, our event on, and I have no doubt that uh, that we'll figure out how to get back on track and get going again. But uh, basically, all fair operation is 100% shut down. That's rough. I, I know that the other folks that I spoke with that have had to furlough people. You know, it's been heartbreaking because this isn't just a business where that's just an employee and you've got to cut costs. It's um, a family. We're a, it's a very family, and sometimes it is it literally is family. Um, yeah. But to have to let people go, and then you know, I really feel for folks like uh, Jeremy Parsons at Clay County in Spencer, Iowa, because he when he was on the show, he was explaining that 
they kind they would get sort of shut down and he'd have to kind of say to folks, hey, it's might maybe in a month. And then they kind of got reopened a little bit and they could have a couple of non-fair show like a boat show or something like that. And so like there was not it's almost I feel like and, and I've never had to let people go. Um, you know, I, I'm not in that position, but I almost feel like. God, isn't it easier to just have a clean break and say, listen, this absolutely sucks. Rip the bandaid off and then let's figure out what's next. And in Jeremy's case, he think it was, they were there, but then they weren't there. And it was this real back and forth, just a miserable experience. Yeah. I, I was at least grateful that um, we had a clean decision. It wasn't this waffling back and forth with us. Um, we just really had no opportunity to even go. And so uh, we just sat down and said, okay, if we're going to salvage the future of this fair, we're going to have to 100% shut down all ferro-type operation until um, this thing's over. And that's what we've chose to do. And, and uh, only time's going to tell. Um, you know, one thing that I keep thinking about, uh, um, and maybe I liken this to, to an author writing a book, What's the last chapter? What is, what's it going to read on how we are going to get back on track as a country and, and put this COVID uh, pandemic behind us? What is that last chapter reading? And honestly, I don't know that anybody has that foresight right now to see how we're going to put this. I mean, yeah, people are getting vaccinated. Is, is it effective? We don't know. Uh, um, it's, it's going to be a real struggle. I mean, um, especially fair type or outdoor event festival type activities, I think are going to be the, one of the last to rebound. I kind of um, agree. And that's sad because that's part of our recreation of who we are and getting out into the public and going yep. and enjoying yep. things and, Fair things like fairs and and you know your your local wine festival or you know uh, uh, RV show or uh, oh, hell a movie theater all these types of things are so important for us as a culture for our mental health you know to be able we had a rough week at the office and you know what I'm gonna go um, go to this festival this weekend and with my buddies and and we're gonna do uh, it, it's a beer festival or whatever we're just gonna go have a good time and kick back and then we're gonna watch the go to the you know, the football game on Sunday afternoon. Nobody can do that right now. And that yeah. it's causing an awful lot of stress. Um, it's just been, a, you know, it's been completely brutal and it's heartbreaking for me to see all of this. By the time this episode airs here in a few weeks, we're recording this on February 16th, but by the time it airs, we will be just about one year into 15 days to flatten the curve. And your fair just announced 2021 isn't going to happen. You're one of the first fairs, as far as I can tell, in the country, other than maybe Los Angeles County, that's had to cancel back to back. So serious question, is your fair going to make it? Um, I'd like to tell you that, yeah, we'll be back. Uh, yeah, there is a cloud of doubt. Um, it, uh, it's going to be a struggle for us uh, to be able to get back on track. Um, I don't have an answer for you right now. Obviously, uh, I'm concerned about that. Yeah. Um, it's not as easy as flipping a light switch on and, hey, we're back. The lights yeah. are back on. Um, logistically, um, financially, 
um, it's going to be a real struggle. You know, logistically, we wonder if some of the partners that we've been doing business with are going to be around to do business with. Uh, economically, you know, are we going to be able to have the cash flow to be able to go and produce um, what we have in the past? There's no doubt that we will do some heavy soul searching and reorganization and try and rip apart every facet of what we do and take a serious look at it and say, is this worth continuing? Is this need to be put to rest forever? Um, I don't know those answers. And I don't know that I, I, I would be lying to you if I sat right here with confidence and tell you, oh, yeah, we'll be back because I'm not sure. Yeah. And that's real. I mean, that's a really authentic moment for you to be able to say that. There's a number of fair personnel that I've spoken with on the podcast that, um, you know, on the air have been upbeat and yeah, we're going to make it. And, and I understand that the mindset of, of putting that out there, but then off the air, they're saying, if we lose two, we're probably done. So you're not alone in, in that, that very unknown of what the future looks like. Um, this, you know, this entire pandemic has provided more than enough negative in our lives and, and, um, more than enough to talk about that's a kind of a, um, a heartbreak. But I think it's important that we actually focus on responding to the pandemic rather than reacting to what's happened. Um, so let's look at some positive. What are some of the silver linings for you in the last 12 months? Um, you know, <laughs> luckily my family is, uh, lives close by me. My, uh, my kids are all, uh, um, out of the house and, but they live close by. We've spent a lot of time together as a family. Um, I think in part, we've all set and reevaluated uh, who we are. I think you've drawn closer to some of your neighbors. I think that we've provided, had the opportunity to maybe serve others more than we normally would. Um, I think the, that in part, You'd have to say that part of this has been very um, uplifting and, and uh, kind of a reset button of your life. Um, sometimes we get in this fast lane of busy, 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 do, do, do. And then we forget really who we are as people. And I think that having that opportunity to hit the reset button has been a valuable uh, lesson in life. Um, I know for one that uh, I cherish the, the relationships that I've built back up um, with some of my own family members and, and friends around me. And, and uh, I've even have some people that I get on the phone with every couple of weeks just to check on them. And uh, maybe I wasn't doing so much of that before. And, uh, and uh, so I, I can't tell you that this has all been bad. I, I tend to look at the good and everything. There's definitely a lot of good that's come out of this. Um, a lot of heartache in some people's um, situation, but there's definitely a lot of good. Well, I think it's definitely creating resiliency um, for those of us that are, are navigating this the way we are. You know, you mentioned reaching out and checking on people early in the pandemic. Courtney Conkle from the Wyoming State Fair reached out to me and she and I haven't worked together. We know each other. Um, you know, we're, we're friends to the extent that we chat for a little bit at, at Western Fairs Association or something like that. But 
it's really all the more there is to it. But she took the time to reach out and say, you know, pairs are in contact with each other and, and OABAs, you know, kind of keeping the, the ride operators in the loop and Nike is keeping the concessionaires, you know, kind of together. But we're worried about the entertainers because you guys don't really have a representation. We want, you know, and she reached out and said, are you doing okay? And um, I didn't, this was probably five or six weeks into the pandemic. And I didn't realize how important that was, but I, until I kind of broke down and got a little emotional that someone would reach out. So, you know, I would just say, um, keep reaching out, checking on folks, even if, you know, as a fair manager, as marketing directors, entertainment directors, call folks, you know, check on them. Cause this thing's getting, this is going to drag out a little bit longer. And, and I'm worried that we're going to start losing people and I don't want that. So if you're listening to this, go back and look at who you hired as an entertainer, as a concessionaire and, and pick up the phone a couple times a day and just call them and check on them. Yeah, I know we've tried to do that. Uh, I know uh, my wife is the one that books the entertainment for our fair. And, and uh, I know she's constantly visiting with people that she's worked with in the past and, and checking on them. And, and uh, you know, it, uh, some people have fared well. Some people have really, really struggled. And your heart goes out for those that are struggling. Yep. And uh, hopefully we can get two feet back on the ground, gain a little traction and start moving forward again. In a normal year, Todd, I'm curious, what's your favorite part about the fair? You know, I've always uh, really enjoyed the fair is definitely not about me. It's not about um, it's, it's about watching people enjoy themselves. I've kind of always told this story that, um, I watched as, as a family of, there was a boy and a girl and a mom and a dad, and they were leaving our fair one year. And I kind of was just sitting there observing them and all four of them were talking and none of them were listening, but all four seemed to be talking about what they had a great time or what they enjoyed the most. And, and it seemed like that all four, as they walked out was all talking, but nobody was really listening. And I thought, wow, you know, in some point, we've touched the lives of, of a younger generation and, a, and, a, and adults. And, and really, when you talk about the fair industry, that's what we're talking about is uh, providing some level of education, providing a degree of fun, affordable fun. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, to me, that is my reward as to why I do what I do is, is watching people enjoy themselves and, and having a good time. I agree. That's, that's one of my favorite things about the fair is, um, you know, when I do the Conjure Fortune machine attraction and someone comes up and presses the button to activate me like a Zoltar machine and there's something goofy that I say that they, everybody in the group laughs at, then I give them a fortune card that's got something actually meaningful written on it. And I can see, you know, as the next person comes up to me, I can see out of the corner of my eye, the person that just left read the card and stopped dead in their tracks. And I hear them say something to their boyfriend or their husband or their sibling. How did he know I needed this, you know, and I know there's a connection right there. And it made a moment. It might've only been a brief moment, but it made a moment for one of the guests at your fair. And that that's what gets me. And I need that again. I need these vents open so I can do that again. Yeah, it's important. Uh, that's really, if you, 
in a nutshell, that's the most important part of why we do what we do is, is watching and, uh, you know, whether it's a family or whether it's individuals just come and enjoying themselves and, and, uh, hopefully they think about us in a positive manner. Um, you know, they always say in the fair industry that, uh, um, today's blue ribbon winner is tomorrow's supporter. And it, and it really is true, whether you're 4-H or FFA and you remember winning a, a blue ribbon on something that you exhibited, you're going to remember that your whole life. And you're going to have a little soft spot in your heart for supporting or being there, whether it's with money or whether it's being there with your time, you're going to be out there supporting this industry and and uh i uh it's sad to to watch the industry be devastated the way it has been um i do have a firm belief that we're resilient we'll rebound we'll create new support um it's just give us the opportunity to go do that and right now uh we just basically don't have that opportunity in this state to even try yeah, there's a, you're not alone. You know, there's a lot of states that, that are, are operating like that. And it's just so confusing to me because, you know, you, we see, we've seen fairs do this successfully, you know, last, the end of last year, last fall, we, in, in late summer, we saw North Texas and West Texas pull off their fairs. We saw the same thing at the Wyoming state fair where they were able to have their event and they actually saw case counts go down. Um, not saying that's a cause and effect, but it certainly didn't spike the cases. Um, I just got off recording with Danny Alfonso, who's the head honcho down at the Manatee County Fair in Palmetto, Florida. And from the day they opened up till two weeks after, I didn't ask him beyond that because that's the point that we recorded. Every day, they the, uh, the rate of spread went down every day. So I, I just don't see why we've got some states that can demonstrate they can mitigate, use mitigation strategies and, and make the event safe. And then other states are saying, absolutely not. You can't even think about having a fair. It doesn't yeah. make sense to me. It doesn't, um, you know, uh, really not my job to understand it. Uh, <laughs> obviously we're stuck in a compliance deal. Um, you know, I, I applaud those that have navigated through this thing. I've had uh, um, just absolute great friends of mine that have been affected by um, the, the COVID. Um, and so your heart, you see both sides of it. Uh, um, I don't want anybody, I don't want to be the responsible person that helps spread um, something to someone else at the same token I still know how important it is as people that we have our freedoms and our identities and that we can go choose to do what we want to do and so you know I definitely sit here and see both sides of of what's going on and and uh, I applaud states that have been open at the same time I understand um, you know some of the restrictions that have been placed to uh, Put yourself in the casino industry in Vegas. I mean, we haven't talked about this a whole lot, but most of the major casinos, if they are open, are only open three days a week over the weekend. Mm. And uh, you know, it's you're not talking enough to keep them open long term. They're, I yeah. mean, they got to be averaging millions. 
Yeah, you're talking about millions of visitors a year coming to Las Vegas Valley and enjoying um, the casinos and all of that stuff. And that's just not happening. And, uh, you know, what's it going to take to to get that revitalized? And I'm sure that other states, I mean, you, you look in California with some of the amusement parks and all the fairs and some of the activities, sporting events. Um, you know, uh, those are important aspects of our life and being able to, to, uh, navigate through that or have the ability to make our own choices, um, just isn't there yet until we figure it out. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm really hopeful that by the end of, you know, midsummer that we, you know, we kind of start to pull this thing, uh, back in our favor a little bit and start getting more summer and fall events open. And that by 2022, you know, maybe we still wear masks, but we can essentially open and be open and, and have recovered because, you know, whether it's yeah. theme parks, the cruise lines, you know, fairs, something's got to, we got to give, something's got to give and, and, and break this log jam so that we can start, start moving. Yeah. Um, you know, a big part of the Las Vegas casino industry is the entertainment world that goes along with it. Yep. And uh, we have friends that are in the entertainment business in Vegas and um, that have played our fair and, and have headline shows in Vegas. And, and uh, now, and, you know, they don't even, uh, well, what's it going to take to, we're going to sit six feet apart with masks on to watch a, a show, you know, it makes it, can you economically do it? Right. And uh, something's got to give. Yeah, um, hopeful that you know that this too will pass. It will, and, and I think when it does pass, we're going to see a revitalization in this industry and across you know our country that um, is right up there with the Roaring Twenties. You know, people are ready yeah. to come be entertained again and get out and associate with their friends again. And um, I think that's one thing I'm really grateful for this year is the fact that you know I I do have friends. I do work in an industry that is so the people I work with are so passionate about what they do. Um, what are you grateful for this year? You know, um, I, uh, I'm just hopeful that, uh, that we can all put this behind us and have a, a great 2022. <laughs> I don't know what else to, to even tell you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would have told you that I was hopeful that 2021 would be great, but, um, you know, I, I, I kind of chuckle. We're already 14 months into 2020. So, um, and, <laughs> 14 months into 2020. That's a good way of looking yeah. at it. <laughs> I mean, looking at it that way, it looks like that we'll be 20 or 24 months into 2020. <laughs> um, hopefully 22 is a whole nother story. And, uh, I look forward to it. Uh, I hope that uh, that uh, a bunch of my fair friends will be still in the fair business, and that we'll be able to to rub shoulders again and laugh and and do some of the things that we've done in the past, and and hopefully families will be able to come and benefit from what we do. It'll happen. It's just going to take a lot of patience and empathy, and and I think the only question is who who's going to make it and, and who's not. And only time's going to tell that. Listen, Todd, we're just about out of time here. I'm super glad you could be on the show today. It's really been nice getting to know you and visit with you before we go. 
everyone who comes on my show goes through a little short series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions and you give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? Question one, iPhone or Android? Android. Question two, if I checked your music app, which artist is on there the most? Hey, there's only uh, two kinds of music, country and Western. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, that might lead to my answer for this next question. Do you prefer boots or sneakers? Uh, you know, I tell you, I was a boot guy, but I'd be lying to you. There's nothing more comfortable than a good pair of sneakers. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, what's your favorite comfort food? Um, food? You're asking, what was the question? What's your favorite comfort food? Comfort food. You know, anything that's good. I'm uh I'm a steak and potatoes kind of guy. Yeah, I'm all about the mac and cheese. If I got mac and cheese on my plate, I am good to go. <laughs> yeah, mac uh, and cheese is good. Yeah. If a movie was made about your life, which actor would play you? Oh, boy. I don't think they could find anybody to play me. Uh, <laughs> that I, I don't that I'll pass on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. And last question, when the pandemic is over, if money was no issue and you could travel absolutely anywhere, where would you go? To the mountains. (laughs) Away from people. I love it. I got some people that are like, I want a beach in Tahiti. But then it's funny, a lot of people within the fairs are like, I'm just going to drive down the road to the lake and go fishing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) um, we spend, uh, we go to Hawaii every year and hang out on the beach. And I love that. But there's nothing better than being in the mountains. I, I tend to agree with you. Um, you know, my retired parents pre-pandemic um, spent their retirement every summer up in Silverton, Colorado, uh, up there in the mountains and that cool mountain air. And there's just something that is a bit revitalizing and rejuvenating about it. Yeah. So, Todd, listen, uh, if industry folks want to reach out and get in contact with you, how can they do that? Um, best thing is just send me an email. Um you can either send it to ccfair at ccfair.com. That's probably the best place. Perfect. Todd Robinson, fair manager for the Clark County Fair in Logandale, Nevada. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks for your time. Hey, thank you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.